and welcome to Deep Thought Shallow Plots. My name's Erica, and I like watching horror movies. My name's Katie, and I like overanalyzing things. And Katie, what are we overanalyzing today? Today, we will be overanalyzing Sam Raimi's 1981, The Evil Dead. Ooh, very exciting. All right, I say we jump into it. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to start by talking about uh, just the characters in this film? Really, there's only five. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you. Okay. So we've got uh, Bruce Campbell, who plays Ashley, Ash Williams, mm-hmm. right? He's our one character who continues in all of the uh, following remakes and sequels and spin-off TV shows. He is in the, yes, he's uh, represented he's in the entire franchise, yes. Um, and then we have uh, Ellen Sandweiss, who plays Cheryl. Okay. Who is uh, Ash's sister, right? Mm-hmm. That's that character. Um, and then we've got Richard DeManicore, who is... Uh, who plays Scott or Scotty. Mm-hmm. However, um, he actually has a couple of names. His name as credited in the evil dead is Richard DeManicore, but he now goes by the name Hal Delrich. Hmm. Just an interesting little thing. Yeah. You know, people change their name for a lot yeah. of reasons, especially plus, in show business. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that probably, this was probably an early thing for him that yeah. he just sort of did on a lark. Yeah. Cause it seems like a lot of it was them just sort of be like, come be in our movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're a bunch of 20 year olds in the woods. <laughs> yes. We have no safety regulations. We're making a movie. Um, We've got Betsy Baker, who plays Linda. Our original Linda. The original Linda, yes. Um, And then we have uh, Teresa Tilly, who plays Shelly, who's Scotty's girlfriend. Yes. So we've got these five people. We, you know, it's a tale as old as time. We've got five uh, youths hanging out in a cabin in the woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I like to say, hilarity ensues. Yes. Right? Let's start with actually just sort of the general makeup of this group. Okay, yeah. Because as you pointed out, it is a little bit fun that we have two guys and three girls because a lot of the things we've seen so far have only had two girls and three guys. Right, yes. Which then, when we think about our archetypes, is always like, well, then the girls are the virgin and the whore. Right, and yes. then this one, you know, doesn't allow that to happen. So that's a little more fun. Yeah. This is also uh, the movie. Where- it could be more fun. Yes. Until we actually watch the film. Yes. And see the atrocious representation of women in this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, it sets us up for excitement, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So... Uh, we, we have an interesting, unusual makeup yeah. of, of characters here. Yeah. This is also the movie where I had the galaxy brain thought that <laughs> yes, perhaps the reason why it is always five youths is because that is the amount of kids that fits in a standard vehicle. Uh, comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We always have the driver and the passenger. Yeah. And, and three then the three the people back. stuffed in the back. And I'm also thinking about, I mean, we just watched Cabin in the Woods. And in we that film, Cabin, they have the big yeah, truck. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, Cabin yeah. Fever. No, you were right. Cabin in the Woods, they have the big RV. Well, Cabin in the Woods, they have the big RV where they could absolutely fit more than five. But they didn't. But they don't. But also, in Cabin, cabin Fever, Fever, sorry, too many cabins. Too many We're going to talk about, about all these cabins. <laughs> A lot of cabins happening. Uh, they've got the truck, right? And so, like, the three are kind of in that makeshift be- back seat yeah. that's the bed of the truck, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so maybe maybe there's something there. That's I really interesting. I genuinely never thought of that until you, you, yeah, because we tend to get that shot of me. them all in the car together going to their remote destination. Yeah, I yeah. don't know, just noticing things. So I noticed that in this film, we really jump to it, right? Like, we're, we're not there's no setup like there is in Cabin in the Woods where we meet the characters mm-hmm. and then they get into the RV and make their, yeah. you know, trip to you know the cabin in the woods uh we don't do that we don't get that we literally just like these are five young adults in the car driving to a cabin yeah the most we have of what their like backstory is is that one of them has a college sweatshirt on michigan state yeah 
Yep. And we get told later on that Ash and Cheryl are siblings. Right. Yeah. And we sort of get that Ash and Linda are dating and that Shelly and, and Scott are Shelley and Scott together. Are together. Yeah. And then like, and then Cheryl's kind of the fifth wheel and she's Ash's sister. Yeah. yeah. So we we see what like we understand their relationship to each other. But we don't really know anything about them as people no. or what they were doing before. And this goes for the male characters as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So at least it's there's gender equality in that sense <laughs> yeah. that we know little about all of the characters. Yeah. Um this is actually I just kind of made a, a general uh, you know highlighted the name and just basically everything we know about them okay so do you mind sure let's start with cheryl shall we okay so cheryl is ash's sister she's a a talented artist we see her drawing sketching um and she's the first character to interact with the unexplained phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh she's the first to get possessed and she's the one who ends up down in the cellar which Mm -hmm. becomes relevant right uh but we don't know anything about like, what's her age difference from the other yeah. people? Does she also go to the same college? Do they all go to the same college? Oh, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we've got uh, Linda. And pretty much all we learn about Linda is that she's Ash's girlfriend, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives her the, uh, it looks to me like a little mini magnifying glass, yeah. that necklace. Yeah. It's an interesting gift. Yeah. And Ash has to dismember her to kill her, yeah. right? So he's Ash, she's Ash's girlfriend, and Ash has to dismember her. Uh, she's the third to be possessed, and she's the one repping the Michigan State sweater. Yeah. Uh, but we don't learn anything else about, like, her skill set yeah, we or don't her know. interests. Is she friends with Shelly? Does she have a good, imp- like, relationship with Cheryl? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and then our, our, our third female character, Shelly, who's Scotty's girlfriend. Or um, something. Or something. She she's also the only one whose boobs we get to see. Yeah, she's our boob shot, which Gotta is rel- boob shot. which is relevant. Um, and she's the second to be possessed. Um, and is killed by Scotty. Yeah, yeah, she's real dismembered. Yeah. So those are our three female characters, but we have two male characters as well, right? So we've got Scott, who goes by Scotty. Mm-hmm. I call him Scotty. Yeah, because we're um, close. This is what I wrote down about Scotty. I wrote useless ex- <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> Uh, he's the one who insists on playing the the tape they find. Yeah, that has the spoken words of the curse from the Necronomicon. He's the one who finds it. He's the one the who finds place. it, and he's the one who insists on hitting the play button, um, even when it becomes clear that they shouldn't do that. Right. So I would say he is not useless. He is doing a lot. In fact, it's just the wrong the things. wrong stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, he can also drive a car. We know that about him. He can drive a car. Good for him. He's also blonde. But he doesn't own the car. <laughs> Who does own the car? It's Ash's car. Oh, of course. Because Ash just got it fixed up. Oh. Scotty's complaining about it. Oh, that's right. Because that's that's the car. That what kind of? The... Do you remember the car it is? A yellow one. A yellow. <laughs> I don't know. That's the extent of my car knowledge. They have colors. <laughs> it's a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 Royale. That means nothing to me. Good job, uh, Ash. My dad used to own an Oldsmobile. That's the only reference I have, except it was from 1998, not 1973. Uh, This is a car that will follow Ash through the franchise, including in the three-season series, Ash vs. Evil Dead. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So the car is is relevant. Um, What else I said about Scotty? I said that he's a dick. Yeah. And really, uh, I consider him very highly individualist mm. um when he needs to or or feels compelled to chop up shelly his girlfriend after she's become possessed and he has to you know take care of that ash has some was like a little bit apprehensive about it he says well shelly's a friend of ours right mm-hmm. you know and then uh but uh scotty doesn't seem to care 
about that. And then um, when Ash finds himself in a really similar situation with Linda, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Scotty refers to Linda as your girlfriend to Ash, right? So we definitely have this, like, you know, separation of Ash being much more worried about the collective and Scotty being much more worried about himself as an individual. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I th- I'm just thinking of that, especially in comparison to when it's time for them to go out into the forest. Mm-hmm. Cheryl and Ash go out together trying to, like, take care of each other, and it doesn't work, and they have to come back. Right. But Scotty is the one who, like, purposely goes out into the forest by himself. Yes. Um, And then, of course, last but certainly not least, Ashley Ash Williams. <laughs> Ashley Ash Williams. Your cousin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So he's our main character. But the thing is, the weird thing about Ash to me is that he doesn't give off main character vibes. Not at all. Certainly not for the first half of the film. Yeah, I mean, if anything, his sister gives off the main character vibes in the beginning of the film because we have that like moment alone with her drawing. Yes, and, and like, she has the first interaction with the you know. Yeah, and what? she's kind of the yeah, which obviously the remake makes use of by making her the main character. So yeah, he's our main character. He's our final boy, um, but that's not really revealed until later. And as the series progresses, honestly, Ash becomes kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's a dick, um, but. I am willing to give him a little bit of leeway because honestly, as the, the, the series progresses, not just the film, but this trilogy and then, you know, the film series, Ash versus evil dead. Um, he's been through it. Yeah. You know, we find out in the series, Ash versus evil dead, that everybody in his small town 30 years after the fact genuinely believes that he murdered those Mm -hmm. four people, his sister and his girlfriend and his two friends. It's an um, easy assumption to make when you don't know that deadites exist. Yeah, when you're just like, deadites? No. What? No. no. What makes more sense? Ash killed them, right? Yeah. But, like, that's rough, man. Everyone in your life thinks you murdered four people. Yeah. And not only did you not, but an evil force did, and no one will believe you. Yeah. It's um, rough. So I wrote down, I think he is, he is simply not bound by the laws of man. <laughs> Uh, he's just been through too much. He knows yeah. so much more about, yeah. you know, the universe that he just can't yeah. live by the laws of civility and politeness. And I just think that there's a lot that PTSD does to somebody. Absolutely. I mean, I was even thinking about that a little bit when you're talking about Scotty and how he sort of is separating himself in the language he uses. It probably would be easier, easier if you just had to dismember your girlfriend to stop thinking of her as your girlfriend. Of course. Like that could have been a defense mechanism for Scotty in a way. To sort of close himself off emotionally. Right. She's not not my girlfriend anymore. Mm-hmm. She's a person who's a, been possessed or turned into a zombie. And was trying to kill me. Or what yeah, is ever. happening. Is, tra- is threatening my yeah. safety. And therefore I can no longer think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have a couple of things I found interesting. Do we really just want to jump right into the gender aspect of this film? It's a yeah. huge aspect. Right. Because of what you were just saying about Ash and his journey through this. Yes. I do think it is interesting. I don't think we're going to talk a lot about the other movies in the series. No. Especially since I've only seen the first two. So. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I'm not actually familiar yeah, with Yeah. I saw Army of Darkness couple years ago Mm -hmm. a couple years ago was the first time i saw it so i have seen it but it's not super fresh in my mind yeah we did watch evil dead 2 we had a double feature yeah watched evil dead 1 and what i found what i'm sort of getting at Mm -hmm. right now what i found really interesting was how different ash was in this first one that we're talking about Mm -hmm. and in the second one that's kind of a a revamp yeah um that he's so much more of an action hero yes in it 
he's got the you know cut up shirt so you can see his muscles yes sort of thing and, and like he's got the, the blood drip on his face that just so oh, delicately like features his cheekbones yes yes just so you can really see how defined and yes. hot he is i yes. was like okay cameraman okay eat it up yeah yeah no and um i just think that was interesting and i was reading this article mm-hmm. by uh dale bailey called Final Girl, Final Boy, Ash's Imperiled Masculinity, Mm -hmm. that really talks about how Ash is, in this first one at least, set up as a final girl, Mm -hmm. you know? Right, because final boys do exist. Yeah. But what you read was making the argument that Ash is not a final boy. That he's feminized by this movie. Tell me more. Um, Interestingly, Mm -hmm. Sam Raimi apparently told Bruce Campbell that the reason for having the protagonist be a man Mm -hmm. was because that that would make the film more horrifying Mm. than all the movies that have it as a woman. Because, like, instead of seeing a woman screaming, crying, crawling around, running away, whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. Instead, we're seeing a man reduced to a, like, quote-unquote, feminized state. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, and it's even in his name. Like, there's a reason why he's named Ashley. Which... Is a man's name. It is. It was yeah. originally a man's name, but but it's been feminized. And honestly, our culture has really demonized anything associated with femininity. Yeah. And what gets associated with femininity? Emotions. Yeah. Right. And it's just like no humans feel emotions. It's not women, mm-hmm. right? You know. And I know that me growing up in this American society, I totally fell for that. It yeah, took me yeah. a really long time to realize, like, oh, we've, we we devalue things we find as feminine. Yeah. Right? And so I, as a woman, was just like, yeah, I also devalue things right, yeah. I find feminine. That's why we have that, like, not like the other girls. I'm not like trope. the other girls. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the way to be cool. Yeah. Even, and that's also yeah. why we see in a lot of slasher films the idea of, like, as the movie progresses, the final girl tends to take on more agency and, yes. like, be more action because we really associate action with yes. masculinity. Yeah. And so that's how the woman is allowed to have power in the end yes. is because she sort of takes on the power of masculinity. Right. She's taking action. Yeah. yeah. Often using like the weapon of the killer and things like that. So in, yeah. So in what ways is, so Sam Raimi, the director of this film is, is explicitly telling us that Bruce Campbell, Ashley Williams should, is actually more feminized. Right. So, well, not explicit. Okay. He's explicitly saying that to have a man go through this is more terrifying because it's more terrifying to see a man reduced to this sort of state that we normally see women reduced to. Right. And so you're the one who read this essay. I'm wondering, what are the examples in the ways in which Bruce Campbell or Ashley Williams is yeah. is feminized or is going through things we normally see women experience yeah. in horror movies? Well, what I really liked with the first one is because... I mean, I guess the way to think of it is that um, we see men as being really action-driven and yes. the people are doing things and the people who are driving the plot. And we've already talked a little bit about how Ash doesn't really drive the plot. And we know that right from the beginning in the fact that he isn't the one driving his own car. That's true, yeah. Scotty's driving his car and he's lumped in the back with, like, his girlfriend and his sister. Yes. So he's already being associated with, like, these other women. Mm-hmm. And, like, be, like, he doesn't drive the car. He doesn't drive the plot. Or make no. decisions in the same way. Certainly like, not within the first half. It's Cheryl and it's Scotty who yeah. go into the woods by themselves. Yeah. Um, it's Cheryl and Shelly who are the most vocal about like, hey, we need to get out of here. Yeah. They're not really listened to. Yeah. Um, I also think about in the very beginning of the film when they make it to the cabin, mm-hmm. they make Scotty go open the door. Yeah. And the, the female characters and Ash are All just hanging behind back. him yeah. waiting for him to he's, open the door. Yeah. He's yeah. lumped in with the girls. Yeah. Yeah. It takes... 
Cheryl begging Ash to like get her out of there for him to actually get in the car and drive somewhere. That's true. And even then he can't be like effective at that. They get to the bridge and it's broken. The bridge. So yeah. it's like he tries to be like masculine and do that, but like it doesn't happen for him. It's like not him to find the book. It's not him who fi- who plays the recording. Right. Scott plays the recording. Cheryl demands he stop. Ash is just there. He's not stopping it. Mm-hmm. He's not telling Scotty to stop. He's not the one who's playing it either. Like, he's not bold enough to be on either of those sides. Yeah, he's just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, when he first has to, like, deal with the Deadites, like, he has an axe in his hand, but, like, he doesn't yeah. even use it at first. And it takes Scott being like, hey, Shelly's possessed. We got to do something. And Scott is left, like, dismembering her himself, mm-hmm. yeah. even though Ash is there and could help. Ash just does not. I mean, fair, but, you know, I can also see that as just, like, a fight-flight-freeze response, yeah. like, just, just freezing in the moment, because... Yeah. but that's um, not what a man does, that's Erica. That's not what a man does, that's true. I mean, we have yeah. the other scene where he's supposed to, like, dismember Linda with a chainsaw, and instead yes. he's like, Linda, I can't, Linda. Linda! He loves Linda so much. He tries to use a shotgun. All of his Lindas. He all loves his, them He all loves so his much. Lindas. Yes. Um, the article pointed out that he has a shotgun, but he can't even use that effectively. He, like, tries to load it, and he, like, he struggles right. with it, yeah. which is, like, such a phallic symbol that he the can't even guns. get to work. And really, any weapon is is quite yeah. phallic. An axe, a gun, yeah. a knife. Yeah. yeah, and so the article yeah. really points out how, like, he it's really hard for him to take up all of these, like, phallic weapons mm-hmm. and use, like, masculine violence. I'm putting quotation marks around phallic and masculine, by the way. You can't see it, but I am. Yeah, I can see it. I see what you're doing. <laughs> um, and speaking yeah. of the weapons, like, the one that he actually is, like, the most, like, creative and effective with is the necklace that he gives his girlfriend. Yeah. He uses it, and he doesn't use it in that sort of masculine penetrating way that, like, the axe and the chainsaw is where it's going to drive through people. Yeah. Like, he uses it to bring the book closer to him so that he can throw it into (laughs) fire. That's right. So So he he never even does that sort of masculine penetration thing. And then I think, obviously, you know, our focus today is on the original Evil Dead, but you... You know, I think it's really hard to separate Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And so you think about, obviously, the the fantastic comedy that is him losing his hand. Yes. Right? And that slapstick, him fighting with his hand in the second film. God, so and good. then him cutting off his hand, right? Yeah. So he is, like, taking action. He mm-hmm. knows that, like, I'm going to lose this. Yeah. But it's worth it because I will remain, my survival will remain mm-hmm. intact, right? Um, and then then he, like, attaches the chainsaw. To his own body. To his own body. And I'm thinking about, like, a chainsaw. Also pretty phallic. Yeah. But the weapons, like a gun, a knife, an axe, a chainsaw, are also tools. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we need them to perform functions. Like, right. I use a knife every day to make dinner. Yeah. Right? Um, chop wood with an axe. Chop wood. Use a, a gun for hunting. Yeah. Chainsaw saws are for trees. Yeah. So it's just like, so it's like, they're... They're weapons, yes, but, like, they're also tools. Mm-hmm. And it takes Ash an entire movie, basically, <laughs> to get his act together. Yeah. And, like, start realizing, like, oh, these deadites aren't going away. I am now in charge of, like, keeping this immense evil in check. Mm-hmm. I better attach a chainsaw to my body. Yeah. But in the first film, Yeah, no, he never no gets go. to that point. Yeah, he never gets And, to like, it. even when he gets to the end where it seems like, oh, he's finally done it all. It's over. It's fine. He's outside. And we see the shot of... We are sort of with the camera as yes. a deadite, yeah, going inside of him through his mouth. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know because he's screaming. He's like, ah, no, yeah. yeah. And we're just gonna go right down his throat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just thought that was an interesting that point about interesting. Ash and how the gender works and how much that got kind of changed for the rest of the 
series, how they didn't really keep with that. They yeah, right. And then that the that's a big part of Ash's character development. Yeah. Because yeah. I think in this film, within the film of The Evil Dead, there's not a lot of character development. <laughs> no. Other than now this there's, person's possessed. Yeah. And you need to make a really tough choice about dismembering yeah. the body of this person who you once considered your girlfriend. I would say yeah. that there is character devolving. Ooh. You know, yeah. especially with actually Ash in yeah. his like descent into madness. Oh, yes. The madness. And we just want to take a moment right here to make a quick content warning. We're going to talk about the sexual assault scene in yeah. this film. So if for whatever reason you don't want to listen to that part, feel free to fast forward about 20 minutes and then jump back into the episode right there. And, and we, we'll we not... won't speak of it after that. Yep. We don't want to. We won't do it. Yeah. Okay. Starting now. It's at this point that we, we really need to talk about the tree rape scene. Yeah. Um, it's it's a whole lot. I think, yeah. I, I think we, we discussed, like, should we talk about it? Should yeah. we not? And I was like, I think we need to talk about we it. We need to say something about yeah, it. Yeah, we got to talk about it. And honestly, after doing some research and, you know, watching the film and, and doing some research, I have kind of a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I read this really fantastic article, um, How to Read Evil Dead and Why by uh, Seth Malosky. This article kind of breaks down this film as in two parts, right? There's the, the, the first act and the second act. Um, and the part, the scene that acts as the catalyst for moving from part one to part two is the tree rape scene. Um, so he posits, and I agree, that mm. the first part is basically just like a B-horror film, right? Yeah. And in case anyone out there doesn't know, uh, a B-horror film, basically just read... Low budget. Yeah. That's what that means. Yeah, Low budget. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I did learn that the term was actually meant to identify films intended for uh, distribution as like the less publicized second half of a double feature. Oh. So you would go to... Like the B-side Like of the album. B-side. Exactly. Yeah. That it makes would, a lot of sense. Yeah. You'd, you'd go see a double feature. The first film would be, you know, a very popular one. And usually that second feature would kind of be a... Yeah. Because maybe just people won't stick around for it. Yeah. And it was often pretty low budget. Right. Hmm. So we definitely see that this is a well-known as a very low budget film. Right. Yeah. Um, we see that in the bad acting. Honestly. <laughs> we see that in the cliched elements of the horror slasher genre. Right, you know. Yeah. We see that with minimal character development. It's mm -hmm. not about the characters. It's, it's about, about the how horror. we're going to see yeah. their bodies get torn apart. Yeah. And then part two, it kind of shifts to like a gross out comedy or like a, a zombie comedy, maybe mm -hmm. even specifically, uh, which again is is exemplified by the bad acting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that there is too much blood. It gets ridiculous. There's so much blood. The I, blood in the light bulb, though, is so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So, uh, and then we kind of enter, like, a slapstick, right? We have, like, exaggerated physical movements, right? You know, um, Ash is getting terrorized by, I don't remember who, but one of his possessed friends, and he's just getting, like, thrown around. Yeah. And, you know, so it's just, like, it's almost kind of, it's played for a laugh, yeah. right? Um, and then we have like, you know, we've got too much blood, but we also just have other gross stuff. That's so gross. There's like, for some reason, when people get their head cut off, like this weird white milk stuff yeah. comes out. And then, and the Seth, the, the person who wrote this says, semen question mark? And yeah. I was like, maybe. I mean, I don't think so, but maybe. Because it just like, it looks like milk. Yeah. It looks like milk. You and know? then there's yeah. also like all the weird, like kind of green and yellow. There's just like a lot of colors that happen. So, um, so, you know. We it's like two 
two films in one, right? Mm -hmm. And so usually we talk about, you know, so like, and the pivot point is the tree rape scene, right? So is the tree rape scene meant to be horror Mm -hmm. or is it meant to be gross out comedy, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact is it doesn't fit in either, right? Right. So, uh, you know, we think about scary movies, uh, what really gets us in scary movies is when they reach back to our like really primal fears, specifically our fears as children, right? Mm-hmm. So I think of clowns, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, especially as children, had a fear of like serial killers mm-hmm. or kidnappers, right? Um, the dark, right? Yeah, just, just as dark. A, yeah, yeah, just that's as the a big one. As an uh, entity, right? Mm-hmm. So which half does the tree rape scene belong to, right? So is it scary? I mean, in a way that like me as a woman. Am scared of being sexually assaulted. Like, yeah. Yes. However, I'm not scared of being sexually assaulted by a tree. Right? So, I mean, a lot of my childhood fears go back to the scene in Jumanji where the big vines come out and wrap around everybody. So, my fears are a little bit aligned with that. Sure. (laughs) So, then maybe we would make the case that it belongs in the first half of the film. Maybe, Maybe, yeah. Um, I will say it made me very viscerally uncomfortable to watch in a way that the rest of the movie doesn't. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, like, the way that it's shot is just, like, this is very graphic, right? Like, this is going on for a while. And then it has that weird, though, thing that takes it away from horror, that kind of discordant, like, I don't know, moaning that she does. Where it almost seems like she's enjoying it, quote-unquote, or it's, like, unclear. Yeah. That makes it, like, are we supposed to think this is scary or titillating? Which happens to us a lot in our culture. Like, there's a ton of, like... You know, like, advertisements for... uh, Who cares what their advertisement's for? With, like, a woman alone in, uh, like, in a public place, usually at night, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, a shadowy figure approaching her, right? Yeah. And so, like, how it plays, like... It it kind of plays on this idea of, like, oh, maybe a romance is about to occur. Mm -hmm. But, like, if I'm a woman alone, especially at night, and a shadowy figure approaches me... I'm not thinking about romance. No. Right. Um, So I think it kind of depends on, you know, like this scary movies, you know, the point is to attach to and exploit our like most primal fears. Mm -hmm. And usually those fears come from childhood. Right. right? Obviously, sexual assault, I think, for pretty much any woman Mm -hmm. is going to be a fear that we have. Right. It's not necessarily a fear we have as children. Mm -hmm. It's usually one that as we approach adolescence and go through puberty, start to learn that we need to fear. Right. Right, Yeah. As Um, rape culture becomes more and more prevalent in our lives. Right. And and then all of a sudden people care about what we're wearing. And And God, it does start young. Yeah, it starts young. Yeah. So in that way, (laughs) it is I can remember how old I was the first time I got catcalled on the street and it was 11. Uh, Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So to me, it, I think uh, if this scene must be in the film, which we'll talk about why it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. Um, if this scene is supposed to be in the film, I think it does fit more in the mm-hmm. horror part, um, just as a woman fearing sexual assault yeah. uh, with very good reason. Like yeah. the odds are astronomical. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's like one in four. Yeah. It's it's, just, like it's awful. Yeah. So, um, and to be fair, the numbers are kind of high for boys too. They are, they are very high for boys, and that's you know another problem, right? <sighs> so, but then if we read the tree rape scene as part of the slapstick gross out comedy, um, that's very troubling oh. because is it funny? No, it's not funny. Yeah, rape isn't funny. 
but at the same time you could see how in like our rape culture the way that rape has been used as jokes right over and over again however you know we might find ourselves laughing as just a way of staving off the feelings of like being deeply uncomfortable yeah yeah um, but there's really nothing funny, funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the conclusion that Seth comes to and the conclusion that I support is that uh, the tree rape scene, it's its quite ludicrous, right? Like a yeah. tree. OK, whatever. Right. There um, is that sort of comedic thing in the ridiculous. It's too ludicrous to be that scary. Yeah. It's too realistically unpleasant to be funny. Yeah. Right? So it's it's neither. And yeah. this scene should have been left on the cutting room yeah. floor. And it sounds like, and w- what yeah. you want to tell me from is that it should have been. At, yeah, from <laughs> what it, I was looking at. It was going to be. It since was gonna this be. was, you know, made, um, a lot of people have spoken against it. And Sam Raimi himself has said that he really regrets that he put it in there. And that, like, you know, his philosophy with horror, his point of horror, is that it's supposed to be kind of something that, like, scares you and grosses you out, you know, and, like, disturbs you a little bit. But, like, more in a, a fun or at least an enjoyable way. Not something that actually, like, literally offends you. That, like, that's not his aim with horror. And so he thinks he went too far with this one and that he got it wrong. Right. That that wasn't really the point. And probably as a man in 1981, not fully understanding yeah. the, the tr- world. Yeah. These, like, 20-year-old guys. Yeah. Like, uh, I could get how they wouldn't quite see. The world that the women they know and love actually live in. Yeah. yeah. And not quite get it. And so then it's interesting that then it is still you. He said this before the remake was made. Mm-hmm. And the remake still has a tree rape scene. Which I posit is worse mm-hmm. in, uh, it's worse in the remake yeah. than in the, and and now I watched the remake. I have not. Uh, for this, for the research. I, I watched it when it came out. It was a long time ago, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I rewatched it. I didn't go back and actually check the timing, but it feels longer in the mm. remake. It feels like it's taking longer. And we actually see, like, what gets me why I think it's worse in the remake is because we get a close-up on, like, the crotch, mm. right? And we see this weird kind of, like, black, slimy slug thing. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. Like, go inside of Mia. The character's name is Mia. And we see it. And, like, we also, we see, like, this black, gross, slimy slug thing, like, completely disappear. Like, go up. Up her dress, up yeah. her leg, up her dress, and disappear. Uh, Whereas, like, in the, reg, you know, in the 1981 one, it's just, like, it's a tree branch. It's connected to the trunk. So, yeah. like, there's no end to it. And so it, it it's almost, I don't know, something about seeing it there and then crawling up her leg, up her gone. dress, and then disappearing oh. is worse to me. Yeah. But you said that you looked into some, oh, I just saw some, some reasons people, people who... said it was worse than the original. Yeah, I saw some people, yeah, who had a different, again, I haven't seen it, so I yeah. don't know, but some people who are arguing that, at the very least, this one makes it clear that, like, Mia yeah. is not enjoying it, Yeah, which is good. It's very much, that's true. It's shot more as a horror, a straightforward horror, Yeah, in the sense that it is something that she is, like, not consenting to, not enjoying yeah. in any way. That Would it like just, it to stop. Yeah, yeah, in the way that we don't have in the first one. But supposedly, mm-hmm. I found that, like, the original screenplay for it did actually leave the scene out did not have a rape tree scene and then the producer um according to bitch media i believe (laughs) um i trust what i read on bitch media (laughs) yeah uh they kind of put together they're pretty sure it was the producer robert taper because supposedly it was a producer who was on the original and is also on the remake and And robert taper's like the one the one (laughs) it was on the original on the remake but i'm not sure if that's ever been like confirmed confirmed so take with a grain of salt yeah but but a producer at least insisted that they needed to include it 
because fans would be expecting it. Okay. That they needed to have it because of that. Like, fans will be like, where's my rape tree? I need my rape tree. Where's the tree And then they talk about this experience of, like, being, you know, sitting in, like, a screener for this remake. Yeah. And having to watch that scene and then having a bunch of, like, you know, 20-something guys actually, like, cheer at the end. Right. And be, like, really ecstatic and into it. And just sort of sitting there and having to be like, oh, (laughs) fans did want that. 20-year-old boys wanted that. 20-year-old boy fans wanted that. Yeah. And just, like, ooh, the ooh-ness of that. Yeah. But I do actually, I guess, want to talk just a little bit more about, like, we've sort of talked about it in a meta sense, but, like, what it does in the film. Because there is one thing where I feel like it could... There is a way I feel like that maybe this could work in the sense that there's a tree rape scene. Yeah. Okay. Or at least the idea of it. Yeah. Because there's a way where Cheryl works as like a victim of sexual assault in the sense that when she gets back, none of her friends believe her. Right. Like even when she first starts talking about how there's something going on, there's something creepy happening here. Yeah. Like everybody wants to like really dismiss her fears. And like even after she gets molested by this tree and like it's really clear from the state that she's in coming in from the forest, you know, with, like, her clothes torn up and stuff. Like, it, it, something happened Something to her. happened, yeah. And still, they want to, like, just dismiss her. Like, when she tells Scotty to not play the tape, he's like, oh, you know, don't be stupid. It's just a joke. Calm down. Which is, like, such a thing that guys say to girls who are like, no, this is actually literally very harmful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a joke, and I will not calm down. And yeah. this way of, like, just not being believed. And you're the one who needs to rethink the way uh, yeah. your thought process and thinking yeah. this is funny when it's not. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. how it's just, like... Like, I don't know. I just feel like in someone's hands, that sort of story could be done well. Yeah. I don't, not these hands, and I'm not sure exactly how. Yeah. But, like, there is something there. Yeah. Where she isn't believed in this way, and she has to keep for- forcing her way to, like, be believed. And even when Ash is like, fine, I'll get you out of here, you can tell he's, like, not really. He's like, okay, my sister is upset about something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I guess I'll try to take her out of there. Right. But, like, none of them's really, like, on her side about it. And that's, yeah, really similar to to rape narratives it'd be like uh, this thing happened to me and well at least like i mean i guess for better or for worse like the you know the other characters don't believe her but like even if they maybe did like at least they're not like victim blaming her like yeah. they're like well don't go out in the woods then yeah because they all go out in the woods yeah right yeah, yeah. i mean and that is the other thing i want to talk about yeah actually is the fact that Scotty goes out when this is all going down and like some people have started to be possessed and they're like they're all on board now Mm -hmm. they all believe Cheryl Scotty is like I'm gonna get out of here and he goes into the woods and we don't see what happens to him right he just goes he leaves a while later and then a while later he comes back and he's all cut up yeah and saying that the trees are alive Uh uh-huh so it's literally just like what happened to Cheryl yeah so like to me that suggests that he was also molested by a tree maybe yeah and there's something about how we don't actually see that one, though. Right. We don't see that one because, like, we want maybe we want to, like, afford men more dignity. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it would be, once again, that quote-unquote feminization of right. a male character. And interestingly, it's after that happens that Scotty then dies and then is possessed. Like, he has to go through that feminization before he can be possessed. Mm, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because that's, like, a crime that's greater than any sort of, like, physical violence that can happen to him. Is that he's, like, reverted to yes. this woman's role. Right. So then he can be possessed. Right. Because all of the women get possessed first. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's always, they're possessed first. Even when we hear the story about the academic and his wife, it's his wife who's possessed. It's his wife who gets possessed yeah. first. Yeah. And so it's, like, the women's bodies who are, like, 
dragged around and cut apart and yeah. stabbed and buried. Yeah. There's like no dignity for them. Yeah. To this in this way that's like perhaps because we're really desensitized to this sort of violence against women. Both the sexual kind of violence and just like the physical brutal kind of violence. Yeah. Where it's like it's only when it's a man that it's taking it too far. Right. Because we're not used to seeing that against a man. For especially especially if this film was supposed to have that borderline comedic sort of tone to it. Right. Yeah. We can't have a man get this kind of assault happen to him. That's yeah. not funny. At least we can't show it. Like yeah. we can reference it, but we're not gonna actually yeah. show it. Man. And just sort of I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing. I think I'm done talking about the tree rape. Let's never talk about it again. At least not on microphone. Yeah. All right. If you wanted to skip past that last part, now's a good time to jump back in. Uh, so I wanted to to talk about, you know, how to read The Evil Dead and really what is this genre of film, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, it is a horror film, but, you know, as I was watching it, it was so hard for me not to read it as a slasher. And maybe that's because I've been watching a lot of slashers lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and even on the pod, we've done quite a few sort yes. of... The general idea of yeah. the five youths going to the cabin. Right. So it was, re- I was seeing this as a slasher film, even though it's, it's really not. But, you know, in the ways that it is a slasher film, we've got a group of five youths. Mm-hmm. We've got the remote location, mm-hmm. right? We have the deaths all occurring within a very short period of time within yeah. a night, right? And we have uh, the final girl. Yeah. Right. So that's very slasher, slasher beats. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it's it's interesting because I read this article about um, about whether or not the deadites are zombies. Mm -hmm. Right. And looking at like, you know, what what's a zombie narrative, you know, versus a possession narrative, because I think what's really popular right now, I think we're kind of moving away from it a little bit. But certainly in the last 10 years or so, the popular theme in horror movies has been demonic possession. Oh, is that true? Uh, at least the ones I've been watching. Okay. Yeah. You would know more than me. Um, so I thought you were going to say zombies, but I guess we've kind of moved on from zombies a bit. Oh, zombies are definitely also yeah. still there. I mean, too. with The Walking Dead, yeah. definitely with t- TV. T- right yeah. now, The Last of Us is on. So actually, you know, it's funny because we were talking earlier about how the the purpose of horror films is to like play on our like most primal fears and anxieties. And actually the the idea of a zombie apocalypse was like one of my like intrusive thoughts at the end of high school. Oh really? I was just like a, a zombie apocalypse is like I I spent a lot of my time thinking about what happens in in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Mm. What am I going to do? Right. Yeah. Um and that's when I found out I had an anxiety disorder. <laughs> I had one before that, but that's what you found out when I realized. (laughs) So to me, zombies do play on those like really primal fears. I want to talk about like who, who are, what are the deadites, right? Because while I read this as a slasher film, it's not really a slasher film. No, It's like a zombie or possession film. Yeah. Because they're also not really zombies. Because they're not zombies, right? So... You know, I also made a little, you know, part of my T-chart of comparing it to a slasher film versus a possession or zombie film. And also a possession and zombie film, like, those are two different yeah. kinds of films, but they, they go together pretty well. So, like, we don't have, it's not a slasher because we don't have, like, that single, often masked psycho killer. Right, right? yeah. The killer are, like, otherworldly forces for evil. yeah. We don't have the intervention of a holy person, which happens a lot in possession films. There's always one where mm. it's just like, we got to go see a priest or, you know, a brujo or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, we do have the questioning of the character's sanity, right. right? Which is usually something that happens in possession films. Um, and then I also noticed what, what really keeps it from being a slasher film is that there are no drugs in this film. 
Yeah. Uh, very little sin, right? We see Yeah, there isn't the kids like they're all going to have a good time at the cabin, yeah. but we don't see the cabin fever like I'm going to drink all weekend. Like yeah. we see them at the beginning of the film once they're in the cabin, they have a very charming family dinner. <laughs> yes, they're right all here. around the table talking to each other. I believe Ash is at the head of the table yeah. if I if I recall correctly. And they do a toast. They do a yeah. cheers. But like we they're just they just have cups. We don't know what's in them. I mean, they're even if there is alcohol in them. It's not like It seems like a nice it's not acceptable amount. Yeah. yeah. And we even have what would set up Cheryl as our final girl yeah. is I think that is the one part where she's kind of off to the side drawing. So, like, if that is our excess teen sin, she would our be the final one girl kept is away from it. Yeah, engaging But in she that, still yeah. is, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We also it have, still isn't that much excess for her to be avoided. We also have a, a marked absence of sex in this film. Yeah. Uh, we get one boob shot. Mm-hmm. Which is not sexualized. Shelly. No, not at all. And as a matter of fact, we actually get equal opportunity chest shot. Yeah. We see, we see Scotty's and Shelly's at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah, because they're just getting ready for bed. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're just getting ready for bed because they are taking their clothes off, but mm-hmm. they're taking off their own clothes rather than, like, each other's clothes. And they're, like, not looking at each other. They're And they're, like, yeah, situated away from each other and actually walking in separate directions. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's really not sexy. Yeah. You know? It's like they're just comfy and you know probably been in a relationship for a while and yeah. just ready just, just getting ready for have bed. a nice good night it's not actually and then not like sexual. Yeah. our other couple who we see like romantic moments between ash and linda yeah. it's this very kind of like playful almost like young love sort of yeah. thing where they're like playing this little coy game with each other where ash is pretending to be sw- like asleep yeah and then he presents her with this like necklace yeah. and it's all cute it's very romantic yeah yeah and there's again devoid of sex yeah there's like sex is, does not play into this i mean though. again that's another difference to the ash we get in the second evil dead where him and linda actually talk about how they're like really into each other and yeah. he has that moment where he's like playing the piano and she and just has a dancing. shirt on and just dancing Cause for she's him because that linda's a dancer that linda's a dancer yeah. you know um, but it's like already we have like an an uptick in the sexiness right yeah that we just don't have in this first one that's true yeah uh i think that the deadites are demons yeah because i think that what happens here is more along the lines of a demon possession than a zombie yeah. possession right because we get the you know because the the ghouls the possessed people right um are are dead bodies possessed by demons rather than like reanimated walking corpses like yeah. a zombie is and also we do get i think it, we see it happen with Cheryl and Linda a couple mm-hmm. times is they're possessed and they've got their, you know, their possession makeup on, yeah. you know, so you know, like, oh, something's wrong with them. But then after becoming possessed, they have brief moments of being normal. Yeah. Like, quote unquote, back yeah. to normal. Yeah, we don't know if it's actually them and the Deadites left them for a second or if the right. Deadites are, like, using their and voices that- and their faces to trick but and that that really rings a bell of zombie possession more than demon possession more demon than zom- possession more than zombies yeah. yeah um because like once you're a zombie you're a zombie yeah, right like not- you don't come back and you don't come back That's to your senses always and a big element again. of zombie films is that there's like no cure yeah yeah once you've been bit it's just it, there's it's over you're past the point and you just got to avoid 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 yeah so I think they're demons. Also, honestly, my knowledge of demons and the way the rules of demon possessions is informed significantly by the show Supernatural. Oh, yeah. Well, see, what I was going to say is that often, though, the difference with this one to normal demon possession films and stories like Supernatural um, is that there is often a very, like, Christian religious 
element to it. Like these are yes. demons from hell normally. Yes. Yeah. And that another thing that makes this one sort of stand out as different is that like this is not hell demons. These are like ancient beings of some sort, some sort of ancient evil. Right. Which goes into the fact that they're summoned by the Necronomicon. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a second. Right. Yeah. But you know, I just think it's really interesting that like you know what does the zombie narrative tell us? Right. What what function does this serve, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I think they're demons, but let's just say they are zombies, right? Um, so zombies kind of play off of our, our fears of immorality, right? Like our girlfriend might become possessed and we might be forced to kill our girlfriend, yeah. right? Which is true with demons too. We also get like this dread that, you know, zombies of the fear of infection and like annihilation, right? right. That like... You know, once you become infected, it's all over, right. you know. And, and then, this idea of, like, spreading it to other people. Yes. Which, of course, makes me think about HIV AIDS, right? Well, yeah, and it goes into those, like, plague narrative things. Right, yeah. But that's not present in this film, which is one of the things that makes it not a zombie movie. Is yeah. that so that's, that's what I wanted to ask you. It was just like, so where do we see the similarities between a plague narrative and a zombie narrative? Um, I mean, I think it is, I think often zombie narratives are used as, like, allegories for plague. And Very sickness. much, yes. Often yeah. it is considered to be, and often the reason for it is considered to be, like, oh, they got sick, al- the, the yeah. zombie disease. Allegories for our fears of sickness, right? But yeah. also our fears of people of different races and, yeah. like immigrants yeah right like yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my there's a horde of zombies yeah. coming towards <laughs> us and they can't be reasoned with yeah they're coming to destroy us and everything we love yeah, yeah i mean that's what's nice about zombies as like a horror trope a horror monster is that it can be used in so many different ways for so many different metaphors it can be that plague narrative yeah of like oh god infection getting out of control yeah. our bodies falling apart doing things against our will and it can also be also the outsider. Also, I think the idea of like a dead thing not staying dead. Yeah. Right. It's just like th- this thing, whatever the thing is, right. Mm-hmm. Should like it died. Death is like final. Yeah. It has this finality to it. And then with the zombies, it's just like, yeah, you thought death was final. And we're kind of turning that idea on its head. Yeah. And like, doesn't that give you anxiety? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. And it's even from like a, you know, afterlife perspective, it still has this sense of like, even if death isn't the end of the story for you, it's the end of the story for your body. It's, and your immortal soul perhaps will go on, but your body is supposed to rest at that point until, you know, judgment right. day or whatever it whatever. is, you know. Yeah. So like the desecration of that. Of your body yeah. being used in yeah. that way. And the way we see the women's bodies get used in this film, which yeah. is just awful. And and we see also this, like, we, we you know, thinking of death as, like, maybe sudden but final, right? Mm-hmm. And also, like, a, a, a rest, right? Like, yeah. now you're at rest. And then it's just like, oh, but you came back as a zombie. And you were kind of, like, denied that rest. Yeah. And honestly... Um, everything's going downhill from here, yeah. right? You know, well, I think you lose also... your sense of autonomy, you lose yes. your sense of individualism, and you just kind of become yeah, a part of a horde. A horde, yeah. I, I think that's part of what makes demon possession perhaps more horrifying in some ways, mm-hmm. where in some versions of it, you are still in there watching this right. thing go watching on it without happen. you, yes. watching your body yes. kill your and then, boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, and those demons do like hit on those anxieties of like your girlfriend's in hell. Yeah. Right. Or like your mom is in hell. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't 
want my girlfriend to be in hell. Yeah. You know, everything I know about hell sounds awful. Awful. I don't I would rather want not. there. Yeah. And and also, but that's the thing is like demons lie. Yeah. So it's like, is that true? Or are you just like fucking with me? Yeah. And then it's like, you know? can I kill this person who was a person a second ago? Yeah. And perhaps still is a person somewhere in there? With zombies, it's a little bit easier because you're like, okay, they're dead. They're dead. They're not in there. That's just their bo- body. This is a reanimated corpse. That it would has, still yeah. be hard, I imagine, to kill somebody who has a body that you recognize. Yes. Yeah. But with demons, it's like that even worse thing of like, am I killing this person? Yeah. But if that's the only way to free them from the possession, is that still the right thing to do? And then, you know, I also think that when we think about, I think, especially for me, what was so like scary to think about a zombie apocalypse is the survival survivalism, right? Mm-hmm. And like the breakdown of social order, mm-hmm. you know, and and how some people kind of like use that to fulfill a like survivalist fantasy. Yeah, some people are real into yeah. the idea. Yeah, it kind of represents like a complete rupture. The, the zombies, right, yeah. represent this like complete rupture of civilized society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and where you know survivors are going to need to, whether they like it or not, and they better learn to like it if they want to survive more, to engage in, like, our most violent tendencies as human beings. Right. Yeah. Which is what the characters in this film are kind of forced to go to, what Ash struggles to go through. Yeah. Where Scotty's like, yeah, I'm going to dismember my girlfriend. What about it? Yeah, I don't care. And Ash is like, I could never. Linda! Linda! Um, So I just want to make sure that, like, you know, anybody who doesn't know this is that the the idea of a zombie Mm -hmm. actually comes from Haitian folklore. Yeah. And it's meant to be a live person, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not dead, who has been basically incensed. Mm-hmm. Or ensorcelled, if you will. Yeah. With like a series of, you know, um, a, a mixture of dried up herbs or, you know, whatever yeah, right. kind of magic properties they have. And like this, you know, crushed up into a powder and that powder kind of like blown into their face. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of makes something in that person stop thinking as like an individual human being and just kind of become like a servant kind mm-hmm. of, you know, to carry out the will of the person yeah. who has incensed them which kind of reminds me of a golem yeah in in like jewish culture european are, jewish yeah. culture but uh, golems are made of clay they're not yeah. human beings yeah. but they're meant it's to be kind of like me. more well i guess in both cases they're meant to be helpers yeah huh. especially for those like the dirty jobs mm, you know interesting yeah though so, i also think it then aligns it more with sort of like how we think of more possession films of today than zombie films because possession you don't necessarily have to die you just have to have your will taken away from you Right. Yeah. So I I think that that Evil Dead is a demon movie. Yeah. I think that these are demons, and I think that's what we're gonna yeah talk about now. Yeah. Um, I so think yeah, even though own. I read it as like there's still parts of it that read a slasher to me, um, and yes, there are some zombie aspects of it as well. I think really it's a possession film. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to talk about madness? Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of possession, yeah, because I think that's what I want to talk about is that even though this is like possession demon that sort of thing it doesn't take its roots in like the devil demon christian sort of possession that sure. we see a lot yeah. that it has its roots in a different place mm-hmm. um but before we really get into that i do want to talk about how like madness kind of how we see it in this film sure yeah cuz we see it really early on right away with cheryl having that moment where she's like drawing that clock right and then all of a sudden something comes over her and she's drawing without her. Yeah. You know, and yeah. she's making the book. Yeah. And like, that's also the moment where Scotty calls Cheryl. Well, later when Cheryl's getting freaked out by the recitation, Scotty calls her nuts and says, it's just a joke. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And like actively calls her crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, and that 
she sort of goes through this madness thing. And then, like, Shelly, too, when she sort of is looking into Cheryl's eyes after she's been possessed, that's sort of when she starts to get really scared and freaked out and mm-hmm. has that kind of madness, appearance of madness, mm-hmm. sort of as she sees the truth of what's become to Cheryl. She starts to go a little crazy and says, we have to get out of here. And soon after that, she gets possessed. That's like the seeing is believing, right? And yeah. she's like, okay, something's going down. Yeah. 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 Right. And I do think there's something interesting with how the eyes work in this film. Yeah, I just, I noticed that when we were watching it at the beginning where before Ash presents Linda with the necklace, you know, that they do play like this weird game of like pretending to be asleep and like trying to catch each other, like, you know, looking. And I was just wondering, like, as I was watching it, I was like, what function does this serve? Why are we doing this? And then it gets the mirror later on. And then it comes back in the second half. Yeah. Where it's Linda pretending to be dead. Yes, yeah. But she's still alive. Yeah, so it's like, oh, that's okay. So I get it. that. Yeah. But yeah. I do also think there's something in the eyes, because it is Cheryl looking at that clock that seems to make the original madness come over her. And the clock, I think, is a pretty big symbol. Did you Do you remember what time it was stuck to? No, I kept trying to read it, but I'm bad at reading those kind of clocks. Right, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I don't think we ever get a good look at it. Yeah. It's just, like, kind of in the background, yeah. and we notice that it's stuck at the same time yeah. this entire movie. And honestly, I'm thinking, you know, what I know about supernatural stuff and how that affects time, mm-hmm. usually uh, 3 a.m. is kind of considered, like, the witching hour, oh, you know? Good. So it's like, is it stuck at 3 a.m. or anywhere near 3 a.m.? And, like, it wasn't. It no, was it was, like, like, 6 or something? Yeah, it was, like, 5.50 or 6. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, something like okay, that. Okay, I don't know I what don't that, know. Func- you know, what six, the six, significance six. of that is, but... Yeah, no, there is no 666 on clocks. No, there's no. <laughs> there's no. No, but yeah, so she has that possession after staring at that clock enough to, like, draw it, you know? And then I feel like Shelley's insanity and possession happens after she's sort of looking in Cheryl's eyes that there's a way that the madness kind of comes through the eyes Mm -hmm. and then I started thinking about how like this film itself really wants us to sort of like view things through the deadites eyes in certain ways where we see what they're seeing and the the function of never seeing a deadite yeah the only seeing way the camera rushing through the scenery yeah we're supposed to imagine a deadite is yeah traveling through. yeah we see the monster of this film by becoming the monster of this film by seeing through its eyes yeah and then i was like is watching a film just a way of having your body possessed for a little while mm. where you're kind of like just forced to watch whatever happens and you have like no say in where your ga- gaze is going like right, you just have to look it's at the it's the it's the producers and the director's decision yeah. to decide where you're going, right? Kind of like yeah, this like loss of control and autonomy. Yeah. But like voluntary. Yeah. You know, be like, I Yeah, I, I don't want to deal with real life. I'm gonna watch yeah. Evil Dead for it's eighty five like minutes. This possession that we agree to, this little momentary madness where we're gonna escape mm. from the real world. Yeah, I think about that a lot when I watch TV because, like, I'm watching TV and my TV set up in my living room and there's so much other stuff happening in my living room. Yeah. And yet, like, you know, what's happening on TV has my attention and it's almost like I I literally cannot see the surrounding environment that my TV lives in. You You kind of cease to be in your body for a little while. Yeah. I don't know. That's and honestly, an interesting thing. And I mean, uh, but, like, who among us is doesn't sometimes think, like, well, that sounds nice, (laughs) you know? I'd like to go out of my body for a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But then I wondered if psychological torture was kind of like a point with these demons, if that was like a goal for them. I believe so. I think that's what demons do. Right. I mean, especially with Linda, her whatever demon is possessing her, Mm -hmm. where she doesn't really attack a lot of the time. She spends a long time singing weird songs. Just being really annoying. And just cackling. Yeah. 
And like Ash a few times is like, why are you torturing me yeah, like yeah, this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely wrote, I wrote a note. I was like, these zombies are whatever demons are so annoying yeah like they you know they they like use mockery and like they just make loud annoying sounds and made me wonder like what their goals were yeah what do you want i was like do they need to break these people down to a certain extent before they can possess them i was thinking about how we've thought about how we talked about before how like women were considered more susceptible to like right. devilish influence, yeah, because they're considered quote unquote weaker or whatever, and how it was always easier for these women to get possessed, yeah. Whereas Scotty doesn't get possessed until whatever happens to him in the woods, right. and then he actually like seems to kind of bleed out and die before he can get possessed. And Ash doesn't get possessed until after he like actually starts like hearing voices right. and like being in this like kind of haunted cellar where it's like almost time to, kind of hard to tell. If this is like the demons doing this or if he's actually losing his mind. He has that weird moment with the mirror. Yes, the mirror. Yeah, that's true. It's like, are they trying to fuck with him? Is he actually losing his mind and having this break with reality? Do the demons need him to have a break with reality so that they can make him soft enough to possess? Yeah, because I I think about, um, just real quick shout out to last podcast on the left. Okay. Because they they cover a lot of like real life possession stories, right? Oh, cool. And, you know, or at least like it's said to be a real life possession, you know. And a lot of the things is that like these possessions, you know, again, finger quotes, are like usually fall upon people with you know what we would consider like a weak constitution mm. right so uh especially young children just because right. they're young yeah. right uh girls you know yeah. and and especially girls very close to puberty mm-hmm. like there's this really interesting connection between like these tales of possession and poltergeists happening in households where like a girl just got her first period yeah you know so like they're you know a a mark of change right yeah. and like we you know and then i think about the remake where they add in the theme of addiction yeah. right like people who are 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 very vulnerable yeah mm-hmm. um that's kind of who we see get possessed and so that fits with this yeah. it's just like yeah well obviously women duh yeah <laughs> you know and then like we just got to break down scotty and ash a little bit and, and then they'll we be got right them there too, too. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's also just i mean all of this this whole idea of madness and like seeing something making you go mad made me go to Lovecraft. Oh, Lovecraft. Who is like an obvious influence for this work because we have something akin to the Necronomicon. And a huge, a huge influence on just modern horror. Yeah. 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 And like, I think there's a lot to be said about Lovecraft. I'm not a Lovecraft fan. Lovecraft Country was a fantastic show. Yes, I think, yes. (laughs) I know that there are a lot of people who have done a lot of things with like the worlds that Lovecraft created and like the other people in his circle created and have done really interesting things and like reclaimed it in cool ways like in Lovecraft Country. But even like beyond that, it's just never been really my thing. So I've never gotten big on any of it. Yeah, I actually, it kind of is my thing and I've tried to, I like listen to audio tapes. Yeah. So that's kind of been my exposure to Lovecraft, like directly, you know, rather than like things inspired by him. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be honest, it's really, really hard to understand. Like the language (laughs) is very flowery. Yeah. Um, It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Um, and then of course the racism. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. Cause this movie has, I forget exactly what they call their version of the book of the dead, but, um, it's a Necronomicon style book that they say comes from like Sumerian culture, which does seem to be pretty direct reference to Lovecraft's Necronomicon that was supposedly written by the mad Arab all exoticizing like yeah. oh a mad arab you know how those yeah. arabs are yeah, yeah i mean the name itself the reason why i don't remember it because it was like some made up 
name that's meant to sound Muslim, but like if you know how Muslim names work, it like doesn't. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't fit the sort of thing. Yeah. But um, so there's that obvious Lovecraft reference, but I think the way he uses madness and like possession, sort of like also is very Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. if we will, because there's this common conception that in Lovecraft's work, um, that when you see like the truth of the world, those like great ancient cosmic entities. Mm-hmm. At, you know, doing all of that stuff that it always like leads to the old godness. Gods. You know, yeah. there's this always idea that if you see that, it will drive you crazy. There's the idea that if you try to read the Necronomicon, it'll drive you crazy. Right. And apparently, that's like not necessarily true. There's uh, often characters who like survive their encounters without going crazy, like their sanity is intact. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not a huge Lovecraft person, so I don't know. Yeah. And it does happen sometimes that when they see this, it makes them crazy. And I think that's kind of what's at play here. Is that to see the Deadites and the Necronomicon and, like, to hear the thing sort of... Is to lose your grip on reality. Yeah. And, and your grip on sanity. Yeah. If we can bear a Lovecraft quote... I can. ...from The Call of Cthulhu Ooh, about okay. madness. Yeah. He said, The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. Mm. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday the piercing, piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Hmm. So, yeah, it's the same idea of like once you know the truth, and you're once, crazy. Once you know the truth, there's no going back, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Also, it's an interesting little reference to, like, a new Dark Ages, right? And it's, like, what always gets me is, like, we call it the Dark Ages, but it was only the Dark Ages in Europe. I know. Everybody else was rocking it. Yeah. <laughs> the Arab world was, like, inventing algebra. Yeah. And beautiful poetry. Yeah. And, uh, and Sorry, Europe. And the and I'm thinking about, like, the Mesoamerican civilizations yeah, are rocking they were it. getting it done. They're, like, inventing a concept of the number zero. <laughs> and they're doing a astronomy like nobody's business and they're understanding you know the golden ratio and the fibonacci sequence about a thousand years before fibonacci comes yeah. around yeah no it's um, such a misnomer exactly yeah so um that's an that's an interesting quote though that's a i, I like that yeah yeah okay. okay you get this one lovecraft you get this one <laughs> should we talk about the special effects then yeah i want you to tell me about yeah, the special let effects. me tell you about the special effects because my main knowledge of the special effects is that they were gross they were gross this is true so, yeah, because I, I was, you know, taking notes of just kind of what I was noticing and what was coming up for me as we were watching the movie. And I realized, because, like, in general, I love gore. Yeah. I love it. You're I love body it. horror. I want to see some arms get chopped off. Yeah. I want to see, you know, blood spurting out of things, mm-hmm. right? I, but for some reason, when I w- we were watching The Evil Dead, I was like, this is gross. <laughs> and, like, obviously all gore is gross. But, like, yeah. it was just giving me a feeling of, like, uncomfortability that I don't experience with a more up-to-date special horror effects. Right. right you know? Well, and I think there's also a difference between, like, run-of-the-mill, well, run-of-the-mill, uh, gratuitous violence, yes. you know, except violent people getting chopped up and yeah. stabbed through the eye or whatever. Yeah. And, like, the body horror that, like, makes a body do something that is unnatural. Yes. I think, like, did you ever see... That movie that Natalie Portman did. Oh, Annihilation. Anni- yeah. Very good. Did you good. ever see Annihilation? Yes, very good. Okay. Yeah. Annihilation 
Good example. Yeah. Um, specifically, the part that always got me, which I know Tessa is Thompson. not. Yeah, I know yeah. it's not the part that got other people, but I hate plants. Yes. So when her body like turns into plant life. Yes. That was a bit much for you. Yeah. Do you think you hate plants? Be- because of that scene in Jumanji? I mean, I think it's relevant. You think it's, I think it's, it's relevant. It, yeah. But no, I just, I hate trees because, and other plants, because they move, but so slowly. They do. Yes. You can't see what they're doing. Yes. You don't know what they're up to, yeah. but they're up to something. But see, here's the thing, Katie. They're just, they're just moving their leaves towards a light source. <laughs> I think plants don't give a fuck about you, and you just uh, can't handle that. <laughs> that is horrifying in its own way. I like yep. people to give a fuck about me. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I just, I just find, because, yeah, it's like they don't move, but they do move, and then in movies where they're horrifying and they are moving, like, in this movie, yeah. it's like, oh, like that's yeah. not what nature is supposed to be like. And I think there's something in this movie also in the special effects where it's like, this is so unnatural yes. that it's like, an aberration. Yes. An affront. That yeah. makes you feel, yeah, skin crawly. So I found this really fantastic article, uh, Reality is Mundane, colon, Special Effects and Unrealism. Mm. It was written by Alec Jensen in 2016. Um, and talking about how the the special effects in the film are meant to, you know, complement the general theme of unrealism mm. and... Sanity. Yeah. And sanity, right? Madness. Yeah. Madness. So... You know, at the time, you know, again, this movie's from 1981. They just don't have the technology and, like, haven't developed the effects that give us, like, uh, what we see in, like, Hostel or Saw. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we just don't have that yet, and that's fine, you know. And I feel like even if they did yeah. have that, this was specifically a low-budget film. A very low-budget. They don't have the, the money. Right, yeah. exactly. So we see, like, a lot of of different techniques right we see the fake blood we see the makeup they're using you know like uh wires to hang like chairs and stuff so they can kind of like move in unearthly ways you know Mm -hmm. and what we see i noticed i don't know if you noticed um we see when like bodies are decomposing you know what looks like oatmeal with food dye in it Uh, just like it was like that's oatmeal uh, like just splattered on the floor like dyed red dyed pink dyed blue gross yeah I know and I was like that's why still knowing what it is makes it even grosser I know yeah and I was like that well and I don't know but like to me it's like that looks like oatmeal maybe it's not but like that's what it looked like you know and then again with the weird white milky fluids you know I don't know what's going on with that um, There's just like a lot of colors and a lot of texture. Yeah, and it's like bodies don't do that. And that and that that scene with the tree in the original is actually shot backwards. That's how they managed to, to oh, create that effect. That makes sense. You know, it, they, he talks about how all of these effects basically kind of become like to create like a surrealism right to make all 85 minutes of the evil dead like unreal mm-hmm. um and ha- give us kind of like a surreal feeling of like this is all kind of a bad dream right yeah because like in the way that you have when you have a dream good or bad it's like things don't feel they don't correct. quite line up they don't right. line up it's like this isn't reality yeah. though you know is this my linda or a different linda yeah which linda is this exactly yeah um <laughs> call her linda but her face is different <laughs> happens in dreams all the time exactly yeah so the the techniques are kind of used to help create like a playfully demented version of reality yeah. you know that that Raimi's kind of playing with in the film yeah. and i did learn because yeah we see you know people are getting they're getting dismembered people are getting things cut off and we and there's too much blood 
right? Yeah. Just like an ocean of blood. Love and you're it. like, human bodies don't have that much blood, <laughs> right? And so that's kind of part of the unrealism. It's yeah. just like, you know, you see someone's arm get cut off and you see like blood kind of pooling. And it's just like, well, that's realistic. That's yeah. what would happen yeah, if someone yeah. lost an arm, you know? So just kind of like just completely divorcing itself. Like there's nothing realistic about this, mm-hmm. right? Everything's very unreal. Body could not contain that amount of blood. And yet here is all this blood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually the blood, because we saw like we saw the, the, the red blood, but then we also see like green and black blood. Yeah. Remember? So I found out there was a reason for that. Oh. Um, because this, this movie, Evil Dead, is rated NC-17. Yes, yes, and yes. So Part of Raimi, Raimi unsuccessfully attempted to get it rated as an R film oh. by taking away some of the like explicit blood, right? Right. It's like it's not blood because blood's red. It, yeah. This is blue. This is black. It's not blood. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you can get away with more like cartoon violence yes. than you can get away with like realistic violence. Yes. Exactly. That's why kids' movies can have cartoon violence. Yes. Or like aliens, and can it's be it's not reproducible. I think yeah. that's kind of part of it. Yeah. Um. So it does end up. It, so that was his way of like, just like we got to get an R rating because like an NC seventeen rating at the time in nineteen eighty one is like no one's gonna go see an NC seventeen yeah. movie or like they expect an NC seventeen movie to be porn. Yeah. You know, and it's not. And there is Evil Dead porn, but not this. I mean, what's the what rule thirty four? Is that yeah. what it is? If it exists, there is porn. Yeah. Of it I was reading a little bit about a porn remake called Evil Head. <laughs> his kind of attempt at, but also the MPAA is bullshit yeah it's a stupid organization that should not exist and maybe I'll go on that rant at a different yeah. time <laughs> but the MPAA is useless um so that was basically his way of trying to get an R rating instead of an NC-17 rating yeah. and it didn't work but obviously I don't really think that that Evil Dead was like burdened by its rating it's yeah. like still a cult classic it's you know highly influential in the genre yeah. i think it's it's okay God, that i wonder it what kind of rating it would have today what did the remake probably get? r yeah the, the remake does get an r rating mm-hmm. yeah so uh yeah i i thought about that and i was like you know because i, I try not to be like too snobby when i watch an older horror movie because i'm like it's so unrealistic and i was like well honestly even now it's still yeah, the I mean, horror yeah. and the gore is still unrealistic. Yeah. Even things you know? that are like quote unquote realistic are going for realism. Yeah. Or like, well, no. Still no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was just it just kind of grossed me out. You know, it was just like, I don't like this. And I was just wondering if it was just because this movie was made in eighty one. Yeah. And thinking about the year nineteen eighty one generally grosses me out. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, and yeah, you know, I could just tell like that's milk, that's oatmeal, that's you know Yeah. Ugh. I mean, yeah, for me it was yeah, I guess the unreality of it, of just, like, that's not what bodies do. Yeah. These aren't the colors that bodies make. Right. That it just, yeah, it got me in that same place that, like, plants growing out of skin gets It's just me. like, oh, reality has shifted. Our sense of reality is no longer the reality we're living in. Yeah. yeah. That it just is more uncomfortable than just, like, getting stabbed and having blood go everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're comfortable with that. Um, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a literary corner. Literary corner. Yeah, you thought it was Lovecraft. It's not. It's not Lovecraft. He doesn't deserve my literary corner. Now, see, Katie and I, wait, what year is it? 2023? Yeah. yeah. We're going on, like, 20 years of Ooh. knowing each other. Isn't that crazy? 
So Katie and I have known each other for about 20 years now, and I I know how she feels about Lovecraft, right? But Mm -hmm. obviously anybody listening to this maybe doesn't. So I knew Lovecraft wasn't going to be your literary corner. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So take take it away. Tell me why a cabin in the woods. Yes, I want to talk about why all these motherfucking cabins in this motherfucking woods. (laughs) Um, But first I just kind of want to talk about, like, the sort of obvious stuff of, like, cabins in the middle of the forest are scary. And, like, why that is. Like, does the idea of being in a cabin, like, why that might be scary in a film? Yeah, I think about, you know, what I want for myself in my future and, like, maybe where I'd like to live, you know. And thinking about living in somewhere a little bit secluded doesn't make me that scared until I think about I would have to be there at night. Yeah. And it's it's just a different reality in day and night, you know. Like, being secluded, I can't, you know, it's really dark out there, there, you know. Maybe yeah. I'm growing corn. There's a cornfield. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but you know, I'm just kind of. Yeah, yeah, no, I think the isolation is a big part of why it's such a common thing, yeah. not just cabins, but other types of buildings and, and whatnot people, that are isolated. And there are people who enjoy that isolation, which is why there are cabins in the yeah, woods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like often in our real life, yeah. I mean, people go take vacations in cabins in the woods yeah. all the time, yeah. you know? But it's like they're isolated. But also in a way that's, like, extremely visible in the sense that there's nowhere to hide if there's no crowd. Like, you can get kind of lost in a city. In a cabin, there's nowhere to go. So, like, we see in a lot of these scenes, like, in Cabin Fever, where, like, these kids are new in town. Everybody's going to notice them. And treat them kind of, like, warily because they're, like, an outsider. Yeah. So we have this, like, othering kind of outsider thing going on. And then with the isolation, we also have the fact that, like, if a problem does arise, you need to handle it yourself. Because you cannot call out for help. Or, like, help will not get there anytime soon. Yes. So, like, that can also maybe make people act more. Or you couldn't try and leave, but there will be something to keep you (laughs) where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, this idea that, like, maybe you're going to act a little more drastically because this might be the only chance you get. And, like, how there isn't – you don't have the sense of, like, safety in numbers because it's just you, (laughs) you know, and maybe, like, two or three or four other people who just have to, like, figure it out. That that can get really scary and, like, do you actually trust these people you're with? Right. And, like, can you do this? Just because you went to college together, will you work together well in a survival situation? Yeah. And, yeah, like you're saying, like, what you were saying with, like, you can try to leave, but often there's, like, nowhere to run. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. Like, if you do try to just, like, run, you're still in the middle of the woods. Yeah. In in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, woods even now have their own prop. Like, you can get lost in the woods and that is deadly for some people, you know? Yes. Like, that is a way that people die. Yep. Exposure and, to the elements. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this kind of, like, reversal of this idea of, like, this nice, yeah, that sort of, like, nice secluded cabin where you have a good time as, like, a peaceful escape sort of gets reworked as, like, you thought this was peaceful, but nowhere is actually safe. Mm-hmm. You know, even this place that can be kind of idyllic mm-hmm. is, like, not safe. Mm-hmm. And then also there's often this element of, like, layers of, like, past history kind of building up. Right. Where often in these cabins in these movies we see... I think about Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. It's like it was the Buckner's Cabin. Yeah, we right? see yeah. all of this, like, evidence of, like, past people. There's yeah. always, like, stuff around. The, yeah, yeah, the basement's packed full of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and in this film, we have, they go down, yeah, they go to down to the basement and get this, the unfinished business. But of, they call it the cellar because they're in Michigan. Right, yeah. Right. They get have that unfinished business of what the academic was working on yeah. and reading the inscription, that it was, like, something from the past, like, if that hadn't happened, this cabin would be fine. But there's always something in the past that makes it scary so i think it's makes sense that we keep having cabins in forests mm-hmm. as like a site of horror mm-hmm. but i still was like but where does it start yeah where does this really originate 
And like, is there a through line that I can think of in stories from like the way back to now that kind of gives us a line through all of that? And I really thought that if I just Googled um, what's up with all these cabins and all these uh, horror movies, yeah. that I would just have like answers, uh-huh. you know, that somebody would be like, oh, here's where the trope comes from. Right. But that was not the case. Because there, there is, there are so many literary resources about horror. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like you shared me, you shared with me the PDF of just the book of essays about just the evil dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like there's so many resources. 220 pages of yeah. just essays Eight. about just the evil dead. Yeah. Yeah. And yet- I was even on, um, what's it, TV Tropes? Uh-huh, and yeah. I was like, Cabin. Yeah, I've used that before. Yeah. And it was like, nah, nothing. If Whoa. you type in Cabin in the Woods, it'll give you the movie Cabin in the Woods, but it will not talk about how the Cabin in the Wood itself is a trope. Right. Like, that is not its own trope page. Huh. And I was like, but it but is. that's why it's called that. Yeah. It's because it's a trope. Yeah. So what's happening here? Yeah. So I just thought, and then I did find, like, on IMDb or whatever, they had a list of, like, you know, cabin horror movies. Sure. And as far as I could tell, like... And we've watched all of them. No, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there are so many. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, that it did kind of start with, like, The Evil Dead. Mm. Or else, like, Friday the 13th, because that's technically, like, a summer camp, right. which has cabins. Cabins, yes. But it's, like, multiple cabins, so it's slightly different. Yes. And then, yeah. So I was like, whoa. So then I was like, well, well then, what is the line that I can make? And my first immediate thought mm-hmm. was Baba Yaga. Oh, yeah. So I started way back with Baba Yaga, who has famously a hut uh-huh. in the forest, a hut that is on chicken legs. You yes. can wander around the forest. Yes, I have a Decemberist shirt that has a, uh, a, a little Baba Yaga. Yeah, a little Baba little... Yaga hut with on the chicken legs walking around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bones on the ground. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And Baba Yaga is interesting because she isn't always like, I mean, she's like a hag witch figure, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that she's like evil. She kind of has more of that fae morality where she yeah. has her own rules and like. Maybe you'll upset her because you weren't polite. Yeah, and, and like be your downfall. Y- you got in her way, and like that's on you. Yeah, you know you came and like, into sometimes, her woods. Actually, she's just going to totally help you out for like no reason that you can discern. Right. Yeah. So she's got the fame morality of like yeah. she's not playing by our rules. Yeah. And, like it's hard to know exactly what she's going to do. Yeah. When you look at it from you know human morality. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started thinking about other like Slavic sort of fairy tales mm-hmm. and the cabins that Baba show Yaga's up. Russian, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so like other like Slavic Eastern European, that sort yeah. of like dark forest German yeah. kind of world of like, I don't know, um, Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. That's another witch with a cabin in the woods. The cabin's made out of candy. That's pretty cool. Delicious. Yeah. Um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, that kind of That's thing. That's true. Yeah. Um, even you can kind of think of Little Red Riding Hood. She's trying to get to her grandmother's. She's going through the woods. To yeah. get to her grandmother's yeah. cabin on yeah. the other side. That we have that kind of thing, but that the horror of that really is around the dark woods, the yes. dark forest. That it's all about the horrors that lurk in there as like a way to keep people from like wandering like into the, the forest. Like the big bad wolves. Yeah. Yeah. And like Baba Yaga, where it's like, it's where it's like it's not necessarily that she's evil. It's that she's more like a force of nature, like what you would find in the forest, where it's like the weather, yeah, or you know, yeah, getting an injury because you stumbled over a tree branch or whatever. Where yeah. it's like it could be helpful. It could be food, like a cabin with made of candy. Yeah, you know, it could be what you need. Yeah, to survive, or it could be what kills you. I think about this is making me think of. Do you remember when we watched Gretel and Hansel? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think about they're in the woods, right? Yeah. And they are hungry, so they decide to eat mushrooms. 
right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is they get crazy high. Yeah. Right? And so it's like that, that like if you don't know how to live in nature, if you don't right. have those survivalist skills, then you're going to, you're going to eat a mushroom and you're going to roll the dice. Is it going to yeah. give you nutritional value? Is it going to kill you or is it going to get you really high, high for a couple hours? Yeah. yeah. And like that, that's really where these sort of, or these original kind of witch cabins come from. Mm-hmm. And it is what we see in like the witch, the witch, the yeah. Film. Where we have originally the family living in this cabin in the woods, but then if you go even deeper into the woods, right, that the family lives hut. on the edge of the woods. Yeah. Yes. And yes. then within it, there's the witch's hut. Yes. Where she's doing her dark witchy things. Yeah. That is very much in line with the sort of original branch. And then I was like, okay, well then where did where did that grow? Yeah. And my next thought was other somewhat isolated haunted castles. Like we see in Dracula or Frankenstein. Those other kind of classic monsters that often kind of bridge the east to the west. So they kind of serve as like a, yeah, like a bridge. Yeah. From that eastern sort of orientalized kind of racist version of it world, which is really present in Dracula. Yeah. Where it's like this isolated haunted thing sort of invading the west. Yeah. And then it becomes less about, like, yes, the forest is still scary. Yes, the isolation is still scary. Like, yes, John Harker is, like, still trapped with Dracula and can't leave because the forest is scary and there are wolves. Yeah. But also now Dracula is leaving his castle and coming into London, Mm. into the city. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And it becomes, like, less focused on the woods itself and more about, like, oppression and, like, the fear of the other. Yeah. Well, and I think about Dracula specifically, are you... Are you familiar <laughs> with homo criminalis? No. So it's all bullshit, right? But Oh, yes, I am. But Continue. like, you know, the, this idea that came out of, you know, probably around the 18th century in Europe mm-hmm. that criminals have distinct physical features. Yes. And that it, it, the criminality is inherent in their biology, yeah. right? It's definitely like a, a nature. I think it's more 19th century. Okay. Nature. Mm-hmm. It's in their nature rather than, you know, yeah, a yeah. victim of circumstance, right? Yeah. And how originally in Dracula, the way that Count Dracula is described is to have all the features yeah. of the quote unquote homo criminalis, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also he's a li- he's coded a little bit as Jewish as well. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's quoted a little bit queer as well, a little bit gay. There's a lot about how he Oh, was, yeah. He's very. How there was a yeah. lot of influence from, because the Oscar Wilde trial had just happened. Oh, yeah. And Bram, there's arguments that Bram Stoker was like repressed gay. Mm-hmm. That like there's that influence there too. That yeah. there's a lot of just general othering. All of these things that yeah. we other. Yeah. The gay, the Jewish, yeah. the criminal. Yeah. We other the criminal. There's a lot of um actually someone Dr- who's not from around these parts. Yeah. In yeah. Dracula in general, actually does talk about. They spend some time um. What is it? The study of like the shape of the brain, the head. phrenology. Phrenology. There's yeah. like phrenology. Also in it. total bullshit. Also but, total bullshit. Yeah. But yeah, like your smart, cool characters, the heroes are like, oh, and I knew that this guy was a good guy because of the shape of his brow. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, ooh, Mina. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, Mina. Yeah. So that sort huh. of us getting to the West. Sure. And then I was like, oh, but I can get closer to the present. So then from mm-hmm. there, I was like, okay, well, what about when we get into the sort of Gothic literature, English Gothic literature? Mm-hmm. That's about, like, these large homes of, like, noblemen with dark secrets, mm-hmm. like Rebecca and Jane Eyre. Or if you think of, like, the story of, like, Bluebeard. Mm-hmm. Or even, like, yes. yeah. Beauty and the Beast, kind of. Yeah. Um, though that one has a happier ending, well, you know? Yeah. But, like, it's then it becomes about focusing on the dangers that are actually, like, in this, like, domestic sphere. Right. And, like, the danger of keeping secrets, mm. you know, in a way that it wasn't before. Huh. So I saw that as perhaps related in a sort of different way. Right. And then from there, with those homes, I got to 
then in the mid-century in America, we start getting a lot of haunted houses. Mm-hmm. Like Haunting of Hill House, yeah. Amityville Horror. There yeah. are even some Lovecraft stories, short stories that are yes. about like haunted, haunted houses. houses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, House then of the it's Witch. like... I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. No. Lovecraft. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, but it's like, then it becomes, that's when we start getting to the place where it's like, not just that the house is a site where like something horrible happens, but that the house is the horror itself. Right. And I think about what that makes me think of is like uh, the <laughs> the discovery of the pervasive issue of domestic violence in the yes. United States. Absolutely. Where it's just like what uh, for against, you know, women, but also children. Mm-hmm. Right. Once especially once the school system start to implement mandatory reporting, like reports of child abuse, like shoot up. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, what happened? It's like nothing happened. We're just acknowledging its existence yeah. now. Right. And kind of like the the home as like a, a private place where like we don't talk about what happens at home yeah. outside of home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where we start to get this idea of like often it's because of past events that are now affecting the present. Sure. Of yeah. like like in Amityville Horror. Yes. Where it's this idea of like. Butch a previous, DeFeo murders his yeah, family. A, yeah. And yeah. then if you go even back farther perhaps it was the site of a quote unquote oh, Indian burial. Yeah. Oh, that like God. that sort of <laughs> yeah. idea starts coming up. Yeah. And poltergeist, yep. Yeah. yeah, and then that's when we also start to get the idea of, like, maybe the house itself is going to invoke some sort of madness in these people, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I think we were talking about Insidious a while ago, but that's what I think makes Insidious really interesting is that, like, th- they think in the first act that it's the house. They have a haunted house. Yeah. And then they leave the house, and, of course, you have this lull, false sense of security, like, everything's better, and they realize that it's not the house. Ah! Yes. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't seen Insidious, but that yeah. sounds pretty cool. So I think that these elements are sort of like what sort of combine to get us to our cabin in the woods. Because it's after those points where we start to have the cabin in the woods start to show up in all of these scary movies. Beginning in the 80s with like Friday the 13th and the Evil Dead. But also getting fed and sort of related to these kind of like quote unquote hillbilly horror films. The the hills have eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So they have all of these like elements that they're taking of from the previous tropes that I was just talking about, mm-hmm. where it's like we got this dark wilderness. It might have monsters or other mm-hmm. horrors in it. We have to be afraid of other people, the yeah. other that's coming in. You know, we have to be afraid of like secrets that are being kept mm-hmm. and like who can we trust? We have to be worried about the wounds of the past. You know, all of these are coming up mm-hmm. in our cabin in the woods sort of movies yeah. in different ways. And then we also have this new element that I think is very American and very of this time mm. of this sort of American urban versus rural dichotomy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Up. Yeah. So that's sort of, yeah, that's my little literary corner. What I've been thinking wow. about is just sort of like what the cabin in the woods does in all these horror films. Right. It has what? all of these elements. So I don't know. That's just what I've been thinking about as a potential you know, a story through line well, for these tropes and what can maybe be feeding into the cabin in the woods. Well, I agree with everything you just said. Well, I, so. I'm very persuasive. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, I like you. So, you know, I'm just kind of like already You're inclined to, yeah, yeah. Predisposed to be like, whatever Katie says, I'm probably yeah. re- ready for it. Yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting to think about with this film in particular, because it is kind of like one of our original, like I can say that these were maybe like origins for it, talking about Baba Yaga and stuff. Yeah. But like, this film, Evil Dead, yeah. is really why we see cabins show up, or at least it's the first one that really does it. Yes. And it's definitely a direct reference that, like, Cabin Fever is making, mm-hmm. and Cabin that, like, Woods. Cabin in the Woods yeah. is very much direct, making this direct reference. Yeah. That it is, like, the reason that we have that a lot is this film, but then, like, 
we still have to think about why did this film do that and what made people be like yeah, yeah that's a good woods. idea that's yeah. iconic yeah yeah so i don't know it's just interesting yeah. Well, I've been. Well, you know, ever since we covered our the first one, Cabin in the Woods, I've I have been wondering like why a Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been yeah eating away at me because literally every film we've watched so far, except for Scream, has had a Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. That's true. And even Scream kind of had like an isolated house. Yeah. They were kind of not yeah. quite in the same way. Not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. No. Everything else has just been like Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the, the Woods. woods. Cabin, cabin in the Woods. woods. Yes. And I was like, stop. <laughs> anymore well especially since we but wanted we're to do it start more. with cabin in the woods yeah yeah right, yeah well and then and next time we've decided next time we're doing ready or not which is also an isolated house it is isolated but it is not a cabin <laughs> but yeah. it is an isolated house and there's, in the woods there's definitely a lot about class happening in that film. yeah we'll talk. yeah, we'll, and, we'll yeah and i feel like it maybe would fit in more with like the jane Eyre and the rebecca and that sort of gothic mm-hmm lower class woman with the richer class guy yeah but we'll talk about it we'll talk there's about a lot it. here it's a rich text <laughs> Life is a rich text. <laughs> so I want to just take a couple of minutes to compare the original to the 2013 remake. Tell so, me about the remake. So I don't know anything. We, we still have a stupid ass white boy who reads the Latin after he's been expressly told not to. Not to do it. So what's interesting about what's his name? Uh, I call him Scotty. His name's not Scotty, though. Oh, but he's the new Scotty. He's the new Scotty. He he functions as Scotty. Uh, his name's Eric. That's right. Uh, so yeah. here's what that Eric is a Scotty does. name. Eric finds the book, the mm-hmm. Necronomicon, and it has been graffitied oh. with like red ink that says, do not read this. Do, like, oh. like, this is an evil book. Don't do it. D- put it away. And like the 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 chants or whatever that like summons the demons has been scratched out. So you oh. cannot read it. But what does Eric do? He gets a piece of paper and he like. Um, you know gets a pencil and like rubs uh, you know makes a rubbing so he can see the words uh, so even honestly, though clever <laughs> clever however everything is telling eric do don't not do, do it and so but he was but like, like in a world where you don't believe in demons right you'd be a little curious yeah, so he makes the rubbing and he says the words out loud and shit goes down right wow uh, but however he does not tell he does this alone no oh. one else knows this is happening, and he does not tell anyone else. God. When the shit starts to go down, he never says, this might have to do with something with the book I found in yeah. the cellar. Maybe we should do something with that book. Maybe it has answers. And then this is the thing. He goes through the book, and the book is illustrating the things that are happening to them. Oh, my God. And he does not think to maybe read ahead. And it's like, what an idiot. oh my gosh, like they're showing, you know, yeah. the this injury yeah. that's exactly the injury that Mia has, you know, whatever. Yeah. And instead of maybe like, okay, but you're only halfway through the book. So maybe flip Let's through right, the rest right. Let's of the go book. to the end. Let's see what it is. And so you like maybe know what's coming and maybe yeah. that can help you come up with a plan. No. I mean, like, no. I know it's a common thing with horror that like people act in stupid ways. Like that's a common yes. horror thing. Yes. Yeah. But my God, there is it was a bad. limit. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Eric, God damn. Um, Plus, we have low tolerance for stupid white dudes. Exactly. So. I just can't handle it. Yeah. Um, so they've added in the original, the difference is they've added a dog. Just to have the dog get hurt. Just to have the dog die. Don't for do it. Foreshadowing. It's like, I understand why that happens. It's, it's, it's effective foreshadowing, but it's like, it's cheap. And I feel like I kind of like more because we get that in this Evil Dead, the original, mm-hmm. in such a nice ways where we have right up the bat the foreshadowing of like... The truck that almost hits them. Yes. Where they have to swerve out of the way. And then the tracking shot 
that we feel is like a little bit creepy. Yeah. Like that's already enough foreshadowing. We don't need to bring any innocent dogs into this. Exactly. And like we don't even get like the dog's name. Like, we just see the dog at the beginning, and then the dog is gone. No. And then all of a sudden, they're like, where's the dog? And then that's when they find the dog dead. No. Presumably from the deadites. I don't know. At least let the dog get possessed. The main character is this girl named Mia. Mm-hmm. And she is kind of a Cheryl Linda hybrid. Okay. She is the the dude who's basically supposed to be Ash, mm-hmm. whose name is, the character's name is David, is her sister. Um, I'm sorry, his, his sister. His, his sister. sister. Yeah. Um, he is also the one who gives Mia the necklace. Oh. It's the same necklace that he gives to Linda. But he's giving it to he's his sister He's giving it to instead. his sister, and it sounds like there's been some estrangement between uh, these this brother-sister. Another point, just as an aside, yeah. about the idea of like eyes and looking, the fact mm-hmm. that it's a mi- like a weird magnifying glass, yeah. and that does it. Yeah. But then that being the thing that like they saved the day with in the original, yes. where he uses it, and it's like, mm, yeah. I don't know. Well, and there's the, something there. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's a half-baked idea. Yeah. Continue. So we have a really emotionally manipulative climax between the brother and the sister. They have a con conflict and a resolution and it's like it it really doesn't become about them battling the deadites it kind of becomes about like them resolving their issues as brother and sister together which is weird um i feel like yeah because brother and sister relationships is something that means a lot to me of course yes. as a sister to a brother who is awesome yeah that i tend to like it when it shows up in films yeah like i'm thinking of um look don't don't nope <laughs> Nope. Yes. I got there. You nope. got there. Nope. Yeah. The brother-sister relationship yes. is done so well in that it, film yeah, and sort great. of adds to the horror because yeah. that relationship is so special yeah. and interesting and has that kind of estrangement that they're getting over. Yeah. Um, that I'm extra offended that it's like not done well in this. We have a very <laughs> different ending. Uh, Mia is our final girl. Everybody else dies except mm-hmm. Mia. And she is actually possessed, but over the course of the film becomes unpossessed so kind of like ash in the second evil dead yeah through lots of different reasons one of which is the power of love of her brother (laughs) oh right yeah so that's nice um we love that and then so we have a very different ending not only that so the reasoning for the cabin in the woods is that they are all there to help mia detox off of heroin right Right. And very different than the classic kind of slasher. Yeah. We're going there to party. Yeah. They're like, nope, we're going to help me a detox. I was reading yeah. some things that were just sort of touching on how possession stories mm-hmm. and addiction stories can go really well together, can go really hand in hand. Exactly. Yeah. And that this one doesn't really pull it off. No, not really. Agree? Because like the drugs don't really... Like, we're, we're set up with them. We know that Mia is a user, right? And we're just like, okay, you know. And then, like, we see her dump her stash. And we see her go through the early signs of withdrawal. Like, she's in a lot of pain. She can't eat anything. Yeah. She's, like, puking and sweating. It's, like, it's pouring down rain outside. And she's, like, outside in the rain just, like, shaking and sweating. Because, like, yeah. you know, because she's going through withdrawal from opioids, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, the drug theme is really different because, like, there's no sex or drugs or yeah. anything in the I'm, in the original. I'm thinking of in a way that it it could be done. I'm not necessarily saying well, but like a more effectively of um that two sentence horror story. Yeah, episode about the brother and sister who go to a cabin and are dealing with addiction. The sister is like detoxing. Remember that? Yes. And it is this idea of, it is a demon possession. Yes. But then we find out, actually, no, maybe it was just addiction. 
And you're left in this place of not knowing, like, was that all a trip? Was that all a metaphor? Right. Did that really happen? Well, well, and why did they die? Was this just made to look like drugs? And we do hear a lot of addiction being considered like a demon. Yeah. You know, that you're struggling like with. that. Like we all have our inner demons. Yeah. That you're trying to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just and, like, and like the real you will come back. Yeah. And it's just like, no, it's just addiction. Like it's, it's just it's a, always been a part of us. It's just it's a thing that yeah. happens, you know. Yeah. So there's um, a way they could have done something with it, but yeah. it doesn't sound so like they did. Mia is a person absolutely rife for possession because she's very vulnerable to the yeah. evil forces. She's, she's a, a lady, woman. The drug use. <laughs> right. Um, the necklace doesn't really seem to have a significance other than being a reference to the original. Like Like, it is this kind of like it, I think at the end it does symbolize like Mia goes through her detox and her possession and becoming unpossessed and then like reclaims the magnifying glass necklace. Um, sort of reclaiming who she is. But other than that, it's just kind of, it just seems to be a reference, you know? So there's a couple of things, but what I did really enjoy about the remake is that I like, I like the horror more, oh. uh, the, it's more realistic, right? Yeah. We don't have the unrealism of like the descent into yeah. madness. Maybe that's what the so, addiction theme does for us. Though I feel like that's a place where you could have that descent into that unreal stuff. Yeah. With the addiction. Well, it, it could have played so well together. It does a little, there's a scene between two characters, Olivia and Eric, and it is absolutely fantastic. Olivia has been possessed and we get the reveal like we are kind of Eric mm-hmm. approaching Olivia like in the bathroom and we can't see her. And we get the reveal of Olivia like cutting off part of her own face. Ooh. And I was like, oh, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and then we get a little slapstick comedy. Eric slips and falls on that part of Olivia's face. Uh. Like she's like it's thrown on the ground and then he like steps on it. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Um. And then, uh, but oh. it seems, I don't know, yeah. there's something very original and unique about the first Evil Dead that it doesn't sound like this remake has. Yeah, definitely not. No. That's um, not really doing anything new. And, and then we have Natalie, who is supposed to be Eric or new A- or David, new Ash's girlfriend. Um, she does also become possessed. And there is like a self-mutilation. Like they mutilate themselves mm. before they work on anybody else, you know. And Adel- uh, Natalie like takes her own arm off and just like... The way that it's filmed, like, it's there, like, it's attached, and as it, like, the muscle and sinew detach, it, like, slumps off, and it's disgusting, and I love it. (laughs) It is exactly the kind of stuff I live for in a horror movie. We get a good reference to the chainsaw with attacking the demons from underneath the car like someone's like hiding under a car and they have a chainsaw in there yeah so we get the reference I feel like I saw something about how also her last I was reading in terms of how like the final girl can get kind of masculinized by the end but she's a good example of that where she uses the chainsaw very close to like her pelvis and sort of goes down through his head and like a sort of sort of like blowjob simulation Uh... That's like very masculine. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember that exactly, but maybe. But what what I also we do get a great reference to Ash losing his hand because like there's a car that like the forces of evil like bring up and then brings back down and falls on Mia's hand uh, on her left hand, I think, because Ash loses Ash loses his. I don't know right hand i could not tell you but he's not he's left-handed anyway so it's like not a big deal Uh, well i mean it's still a big deal to lose your hand but (laughs) um and then so what happens is like they find out that nia um is possessed and there are like a couple of ways to unpossess her oh and one of them is to just kill her right right but there's another way that like the necronomicon or this version of the necronomicon says that they could bury her alive oh and so they bury her alive and she comes back to life and she looks 
amazing. <laughs> she looks beautiful. And I was just like, okay, so you are going through heroin withdrawal. You have just been possessed by a demon. You have just been buried alive. Mm-hmm. You haven't slept in I don't know how many days. Right. But yeah. like you have you know you've so there it's raining obviously so the rain has washed away the dirt in which you have been buried alive under and now you just look like a beautiful girl and i was like i'm not i don't know man i don't know man it's a little i don't know yeah yeah like she's gonna be beat up you know she's not gonna look they always go out of their way to make women look beautiful after horrific things but it's like Where'd she get that eyeliner? Yeah, I exactly. Know, I don't know. Like in movie a, magic, but come on. Like in the babysitter when oh, like yeah. they go in the pool and then they're out of the pool and they're like, her hair has not been in a pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was just kind of my little comparison yeah. to the remake. Yeah, they are really similar but different in some ways, and I think a lot of it is to reflect the changing of the times. So, yeah. You know, Twenty thirteen versus eighty one is pretty materials and. Budget. Yeah, and, and new technologies. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would love if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, if you would do archetypes first. Yeah, Let's I think I made you do archetypes first. Yeah, exa- last time, exactly. So it's my turn. Yeah. I think it is interesting that we have Cheryl kind of set up initially as sort of our final girl virgin, right? Where she's the one who's sort of apart from the pack and isn't paired off, but she's also the one who then gets the possession first and our sort of, and honestly, the first quote unquote sex scene but not <laughs> which is kind of indicative of a whore right that's right. what i'm saying and that she's yeah. our first one who gets so she's like both of those roles in a way that is very interesting mm-hmm. versus the idea of ash as our final guy mm-hmm. who is perhaps supposed to be the virginal one and who right. also doesn't seem to have a particularly from what we see sexual relationship with linda because like as we talked about this film doesn't have a lot of sex yeah so like that virgin whore dichotomy is sort of hard in this film right and also we've got three female characters yeah. and there yeah. is an argument to make for maybe shelly being our whore just because she's our one boob shot right and like is that it is that all it takes to be the whore is that we get this moment of voyeurism yeah and it's on her in a moment when she's not trying to be looked at in any way yeah she's just changing her into but her she pajamas, is technically yeah. our first kill even though she's not the first one possessed She's the first possessed person who then gets dismembered and, like, is no longer present in the film. Right. At that point. Yeah. So, like, I think she's our whore. Yeah. And, like, like that. perhaps I'm sticking with Cheryl being our virgin. And it's the idea of, like, in this case, the virgin. Like, Sam Raimi was very purposeful about saying, we're not going to have it be a girl. We're going to have it be a guy who's right. the final one. But we still have this idea, this sort of, like, uh, bait and switch with Cheryl where she is our virgin. But that doesn't mean she's going to be the one who lives to the end. In this one, the virgin gets possessed and, like, defiled first. Mm. You know? So I think mm-hmm. she is still our virgin. Yeah. Ooh, Scotty, as our athlete, because he is the one who does shit. He's the first one to start chopping people up. Yeah. He's he does the one to... who presses the play button on yeah. the thing. He's yeah. the very active one. He has to be our athlete. Yeah. Um, Odd choice. <laughs> no, this is so stupid. I'm going to say Linda's our scholar because okay. she has her college shirt on. She does. And the gift she gets is a magnifying glass. So, like, maybe she reads a lot of books and needs her magnifying glass because her eyes are weak from all the books she's been reading. <laughs> or maybe she's into, like, studying bugs or something and needs her magnifying glass. Yeah, I don't so- know. Something small. Microbiology. Yeah. Yeah. You know? She's into something. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's suggested. She is the only one who, who is repping the college. That's a really, yeah. really good point. Yeah. Okay, well, then and that then, just leaves. And I do feel like Ash is kind of set up as our traditional fool in a lot of ways. Yeah. Where he gets a lot of the slapstick stuff. Yeah. He's not the athlete. He he's, doesn't no. act. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or he's the virgin. But I feel like he fits right. more of the fool role where he is sort of, I mean, he is driven driven to that madness 
in a way Mm -hmm. where he keeps going where he starts to kind of lose himself in that sort of like foolish doesn't know what's going on kind of way yeah so that's my take yeah i love that i honestly yeah it is hard um i almost i mean i feel like it should be easier since this is such a reference that cabin in the woods was making yeah and that's the movie that we you know our archetypes game comes from that it should be such an obvious easy easy fit and but yet, like, it's not. It's not. Because there is so little character development. Yeah. Like, we don't learn about yeah. these characters. Yeah, my bullshit about Linda was such bullshit. It's it was bullshit. me yeah. making things up about her. Honestly, but I, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, you know, I, I like... I like the idea of Ash being our virgin, yeah. right? Because he is the final boy, girl, whatever, and he makes it to the end. Yeah. Um. So maybe like I could see Ash being our virgin, but then yeah. who's the fool? Yeah. I almost wonder. Scotty is quite foolish, yeah. right? Like he really is not using his critical thinking skills. Right. But I feel like that's a common trait of the athletes of that the we athlete, always see yeah. too. That and they tend to act first, think later. And then if if Scotty is the fool, then who is the athlete? Yeah. Right. And and like I just don't know who else. Right now, um, at least in the the second one, we know Linda's a dancer. That's athletic. That's true. But yeah, not this one. But do which Linda is that? Because I loved your fan theory <laughs> of all of them being different Lindas. That Ash is some ways possessed to just keep drawing Lindas towards him so that he can get them possessed and kill to take them to a cabin in the woods. Right. Yes. Which is a fantastic little reoccurring joke in the series Ash versus yeah. Evil Dead, where they go back to his high school and he's like, "I met my first Linda here." Like they, make, <laughs> they know that it's like the Linda thing is weird. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, Linda. So maybe Linda, right? But again, we don't learn that in Evil Dead. We don't learn that until Evil Dead Two. Yeah. Right. And it's a so, different Linda. It's a different Linda. Yeah. So side theory thought mm-hmm. that just occurred to me. Uh, we do have an academic. Is he the scholar, even though he's not one of our five? Oh yeah, we do have an academic. But then it's like then we have too many people. Then so there's yeah. Then it doesn't fit right. And then, then maybe all of them are fools. <laughs> They're all. I fools. don't know. <laughs> I, I could also, I could see Cheryl, could I could see that argument for her being the whore rather than the virgin. And now I'm also thinking maybe the fool, because she's the first one who has that kind of weird experience in a way that, like, I feel like we have fools who often have their first weird, they have their eyes open the first. And nobody believes them. Yeah. Right? They're, they're considered a fool for, yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. And then, but this is the thing is just like, we just don't know anything about Shelly. I know. That she's the the second to become possessed and I think, yeah, our first one to die. Yeah. And the only boobs we get to see. Yeah. Like what does this, you know, that's not enough. That's not enough to base an archetype off of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could see it a couple ways. I could see Cheryl being our whore because she is the one who does have that technically sexual experience, right? Yeah. In the woods. Um, and, but she's not the first to die, but she is the first to be possessed right. and the first to interact with the unexplained phenomenon. And it's hard phenomenon. to say if like the moment of possession, if they are dead at that point. Right. And I do, not. I do think Cheryl, you know, if we think about, you know, again, going back to Cabin in the Woods, that the horror's role is, is to die first and to be punished. Right. Yeah. And I think Cheryl does get punished the most. She does. But um, it's like less for her own. Not that the whore in any of these films ever does anything right. wrong that right. deserves punishing. Yes. But like the idea of it being youthful sin. Yes. And, and you must be punished. And alcohol and, and, and sex. And uh, yeah. atone for your sins. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's like especially true in this case where she doesn't do anything. <laughs> and yeah, I think maybe, maybe you know, if we consider those, we consider that scholar that academic to be guy. the scholar, yeah. 
then maybe Bruce and Linda together are fools. I don't know. Because they are kind of like, and they're also fools very. Fools in love. Fools in love and very childish. <laughs> you know, is. like it's very puppy love. It's, it's very, very like, it's we're very... not sexual beings, but we like each other, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess Scotty is our athlete. I mean, he's the one that I feel the most strongly about. Yeah, definitely. He fits all the hallmarks that we see in these kind of yeah. films. Where he is the one who's kind of an asshole. Yep. He's the one who always does things, even when the other people are like, don't do that. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't not act. Yeah. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. Yeah. He's the one who thinks he's going to have it all figured out, but like it doesn't ever work out. <laughs> he does something that's like, I'm going to just rush in and do that. Oh, and then yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. Nope. That's how you're going to die. Yeah. But good job. Yeah, it's like he he's pretending to be the scholar. He's like, I'll come up with a plan. It's yeah. like your plan is shit. Yeah, your plan is just yeah. run towards the thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ridiculous. So this has been Deep Thought Shallow Plots. Join us next time. We will be overanalyzing Ready or Not. We just want to thank you all for listening and sticking with us for all of these episodes, as I'm sure, you, sure that you have been doing. And thanks to Matt, our sound guy, as always. And until next time. Roam the forest and the dark bowers of man's domain. It's fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs>